Good morning, Clear Creek. How are you? Good. So glad to see you this morning. Happy June. And why consider the first day of summer? Maybe not, but it's my view, so that's what I'm going to say. Good to see you today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is one of your many times, welcome. We're just glad to be here as we celebrate Jesus. Appreciate all the people who have been a part of today's worship from a maybe a public standpoint, but I appreciate the fact that you do not come simply to observe, but to participate in the worship of our risen Savior Jesus. Thank you for doing that. It means so much to me. I've got to tell you, though, I loved seeing Easton as part of our announcement video this morning. Wasn't that great? I love that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get some more kids and others involved as we go forward. Today we're beginning a brand new series for the summer called Asking for a Friend. After all, we have tough questions. And unfortunately, the church is sometimes the last place we think we can ask. I want to correct that starting today. You need to know that the church here at Clear Creek will be a place where we can ask the hard questions. Now, does that mean we always have simple, easy answers? Nope. But you can ask questions. Because we serve a God who is big enough to handle every question we have. If there's a question bigger than our God, he's not much of a God. Amen? So, we're going to begin that today and cover a whole smattering of questions we've been getting, uh, you know, about salvation, about baptism, about cultural things. It's going to be a fun, woo, summer series, and I'm glad that you're here today. Before we get into part one, I want to invite you to pray with me for two things. Number one, our Haiti team left Friday afternoon to go down to Haiti. They just got there today. Haiti's not a two-day trip, folks. They got stuck. Flights were canceled. They finally got one yesterday uh, set for today, and they've got out. They're there safe and sound. So we want to thank the Lord for that and ask for their peace and that they'll bless people while they're there. And then number two, over the past month, we have seen devastating news in Buffalo, New York, in Uvalde Elementary School, and in Tulsa. The church of Jesus Christ must go to war on our knees when we see evil happen and pray for the peace of Jesus for the families who've lost so much. Amen. So we're going to pray about that as well. If you will, let's pray. As the God who is not limited to one place or one space, we come to you today, Father. We celebrate that you are there with our brothers and sisters as they've landed safely in Haiti. And we pray for your mission and your work to be done through their acts of kindness and their articulation of the gospel. Thank you for that, Father. Be with them. And Father, we thank you that you are with the brokenhearted today. Scripture is very clear that you are near in a special way to those who are aching in their souls because of what's happened in their lives. You tell us to mourn with those who mourn. and That's what we're going to do. We beg you, Father, to bring comfort and good out of horrific events. We pray for the family members who've lost loved ones in those shootings over the past month. And Lord, while, you, while those children and family members 
cannot come back to us. We pray that through this, the good news of Jesus will be shared with those who may not know it so that they can have hope and life for eternity. You are the God who brings good out of evil. So we're asking you in a way that only you can to do that today. And we ask for sensitive hearts whenever we see others in pain that we may be people who bring the good news of Jesus to a world that needs it. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all those who agreed said amen, amen. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew 16. The series is going to cover a number of different topics, some of them very touchy, others just kind of like, oh, I'm curious. But before we can get to any of those secondary questions, and although important, they are secondary, we must first go to the primary question that is often asked. And there's a series of questions we're going to have to work through to get to the core of the question. But here's the key idea as we begin this series. Are you ready? Key idea. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. If you believe that Jesus is just a man, that will dictate how you live your life. Amen? No? Yeah, absolutely. If you believe that Jesus is not just a man, if you believe he's just a good teacher, that'll dictate how you live your life. If you believe Jesus is not just a man or a good teacher, but he is God, changes everything, doesn't it? It changes how you view where you came from, how you live life, what's wrong with the world, and where you are going. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Friends, the world is a little confused about Jesus. Let's make sure the church isn't. Let me personalize it. Parents, any of you have children, anyone in here, a mama or a daddy? Let's try this. Are you willing to claim that you're a mama or a daddy? You can pick a different kid, pretend they're yours. It's all right. Go ahead. Just raise your hand, Frau. Is it true that our kids need to know who Jesus is? Absolutely. And what they believe about Jesus will not only determine how they live life, but where they live eternity. And so we're going to get into that today. But before we can answer this big question, there's a series of other questions that kind of sit at a higher level, but we've got to dig through those first. So are you ready? Jesus starts... He doesn't leave the question of who he is on the table, but he asks each of us that question. In fact, he took his followers on a little road trip to the Las Vegas of their day. It was called Caesarea Philippi. It was in the northern part of Israel. And what happened in Caesarea Philippi didn't always stay in Caesarea Philippi. So while there, Jesus asks these Jewish boys who are still a little wet behind the ears, they were not familiar with as pagan of a place as they were about to be, overlooking The pagan worship, Jesus asks this question. Who do people say the Son of Man, that's me, is? Who do people say? If we were to survey says it, if this was family feud and you had Steve Harvey asking the question, who would people say I am? And they'd say things like, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, one of the great prophets, or maybe Jeremiah, another prophet, or still one of the other prophets. In other words... It's not just in the 21st century that people are confused about who Jesus is. People debated who Jesus was in the first century. And so then Jesus asks the second question, the one we must all wrestle with. He then says, but what about you? He asks, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. That means chosen one. 
the son of the living God. In other words, you are chosen by God and you are God's son. You are God in a bod, Jesus. Not just a good man, not just a miracle man, but you are the God man. That's a big deal. And notice what Jesus then says. Blessed are you. Why? Because you got it right. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, what you believe about God, what you think about Jesus, is the most important thing about you. But first, let's answer some tough questions. Question number one. If we're going to talk about Jesus and religion, aren't all religions basically the same, Diggs? How many of you have ever heard this question? Can I see some hands? Maybe you've heard a variety of it. But it goes something like this. Aren't all religions basically the same? Or aren't all religions basically true? And one of the reasons people come to this conclusion is they will say, well, there are some similarities. For instance, we've all heard of the golden rule, haven't we? You know what that is, right? Yeah, the golden rule. Beat people up, do what you want with them, right? That's the golden rule. No, golden rule, do unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. Turns out, if you look at other major world religions, they all seem to say the same thing or very similar to that phrase. So doesn't that mean we all agree on the big things? And the church said, ah, no. We may agree on secondary matters, but the primary big rocks, believe it or not, we do not agree. You can put the next slide up there. No, we don't agree. You say, well, how do we know that? Let me let you see what the six major world religions say about themselves. By the way, there are over 4,000 world religions, but let's look at what the major world religions say. These are the six. Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, atheism. Wait, is that a religion? Yes, it is. Here's why. Religions make faith statements, things that cannot be verified in the natural world. And an atheist says there is no God... Can you prove there is no God? The only way to prove there is not something is to have all knowledge of everything and say, I have looked everywhere in the universe, I've done every bit of the research, and I know that he's not there because I've looked. It's a faith statement, can't prove it. And Christianity. Now, let's walk through these very quickly. Hinduism, when we talk about God, Hindus say that there are many gods. Do you want to know how many? Over 330 million gods. Woo! How'd you like to keep up with those names? Then you have Buddhism. They say, well, there is no God. By the way, those who say that these all agree, did you know Buddhists come from Hinduism? Buddha actually repudiates or says, nope, they're wrong. Not only are there not many gods, there is no God. And then you have Judaism that says Yahweh is God. Islam says Allah is God. Atheism say no God. And Christians say there is a God. His name is Yahweh, but he is not one. He is three in one. God the Father, God the what? Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's right. So do we all agree on this, church? No. Let's talk about salvation. Now, we're not picking on anyone, but we need to be honest about what people actually say. Salvation. Hindus say it's reincarnation, meaning you keep going through life. It's Groundhog's Day over and over and over again. Buddhism, you go toward enlightenment. That's your goal, to become nothing. Judaism, it's keep all 613 of the Mosaic law, Old Testament. 
Islam, keep the five pillars of Islam, and you don't even know if you're saved until you die and have judgment day. Atheists, it's all about personal evolution, whether it's physiological or intellectual or sociological. After all, if there is no God, then the greatest problem we face is things ecologically, our planet, our social structures. So that's how we fix it. We evolve and get better. And then Christianity, we say, no, no, no. Salvation is through grace. Now, what do we think about each other? Well, it turns out we all have some opinions about the other world religions. Hindus say, well, all religions are true within Hinduism. By the way, they will say Christianity is true. But they'll say that Jesus is one of their 330 million gods. Does that jive with what Christians say about Jesus? No. Okay, what about Buddhism? They say they're the true way. Judaism says it's just Judaism. Islam says, nope, just Islam is right. Atheists say everyone's wrong. It's just atheism. And then Christians say, nope, Christianity. Do we all agree or are we all different? All world religions are fundamentally different with superficial similarities. This is so important. Next slide. We come to the conclusion that we're all the same from one of two reasons. Either we are ignorant about what other people believe, or we are arrogant to tell them, you don't know what you believe. You're wrong. We really all agree. Let's do it this way. Who in here likes sports? Can I get an arm? Someone, give me a little bit of wave action here, okay? Yeah? If it's Braves, it's more like this, okay? But that's all right. What sort of sports do you like? Someone call out a sport you like. Football. What? Tennis, I like that. Baseball, swimming. What about rhythmic gymnastics? No? Okay. Let's just play a little game here for a moment. Imagine, imagine we invite all the different sports to play. And we get together. And you have some who are playing with a basketball, others with a football, others with a baseball. You've got a mitt, you've got a bat, you've got a soccer ball, you've got polo, you've got... Gymnastics things, whatever those are. What if we just came up to them and say, just play together. You're all playing the same game. There's no difference. Someone looking at you say, you're either ignorant of what they actually do or arrogant to think that they are all wrong. So first thing we need to address is that all religions are not the true before we can even talk about Jesus. Next question, question number two. Isn't it arrogant then to claim that we're the right ones? All right, let's talk for a moment here. Is it arrogant to believe what you believe? <laughs> no. Everyone believes what they believe. Does it make them inherently arrogant? No. You wouldn't believe what you believe if you thought what you believe was wrong. Let's do it this way instead. Every belief is exclusive. Go ahead and put this up. All beliefs are exclusive. What do I mean by that? Um, there's this thing called the law of non-contradiction. Everybody say non-contradiction. What it says is that two statements that are opposite cannot both be right at the same time. So, for instance, this is a marker. I cannot say this is a marker and at the same time this is not a marker. One of those statements, at least, have to be false, correct? 
All right. Let me give you a couple other examples. So everything, every true belief, every big belief is going to be exclusive. So how many of you believe that the earth is round? Anyone? Let's see some round. And by round, I don't mean a circle. I mean a sphere. Yes. Okay. Now, if you believe it is a sphere, then you do not believe that it is flat. Right? You cannot hold one belief and the other. They are exclusive. Let's do another one. How many of you would say that all people are made in the image of God and worthy of equal value and dignity? Anyone else in here on that train? Absolutely. If you believe this, then you cannot believe that there is one master race, correct? All beliefs are exclusive. If you believe this, you cannot also believe that. Simply believing something does not make you arrogant. Let's get off this slide, okay? Here's what you need to know. We believe all people are equal. That does not mean all ideas are equal. Are there some ideas that are really bad ideas? Is it a bad idea to think that some people, because of the color of their skin, are superior to others? Yeah, that's a bad idea. We value all people, but we do not value all ideas equally. In fact, no world religion will say all other religions are exactly right or true because they believe that they are correct. In fact, Jesus himself is an exclusivist when it comes to belief. Did you know that? John 14, chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 14, verse 6. Notice what he says. I am, and what's this word right here, church? The. The. He doesn't say, I am a way or a truth, or a life, he says, I am the, the, the exclusive way, truth, and life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father God except through me. So if someone believes this is arrogant, their issue is not with a Christian, but with Jesus Christ. Now, is it also true that sometimes Christians poorly represent Jesus? Oh, yeah. But the core teaching of Jesus is exclusive. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Christians are exclusive about Jesus. He's the only way. If you believe in Jesus, if you are a true Christ follower, you cannot claim all ways lead to God. Or multiple. Jesus is the way. You say, but isn't that arrogant? No, and here's why. We are exclusive about Jesus, but radically inclusive about people because all are welcome to believe and belong Is there anyone that we say, nope, you can't become a part of the church of Jesus Christ? No. Are all welcome if they will simply come to Jesus Christ, church? Yeah. See, Jesus says there is a way. That's exclusive. But all are welcome. You say, are you sure? Yeah, let me give you some evidence of this. Take a picture. We're going to show you a lot of scripture. Here we go. Let me show you why Jesus has this big, inclusive, you all come to me. John 3, 16. How many of you know this because of like Tim Tebow? Yep. Here we go. For God so loved who? The world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, not just some, but whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 10, 9. I am the gate. Notice whoever enters through me will be saved. Not just some, but whoever. And what about this from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4? This is good and pleases God our Savior. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? Let me give you two more. Here we go. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, have you ever wondered why God doesn't just return, fix all that's broken? 
I mean, I do, because come on, the world isn't the way it should be. So God is not slow, however. Why? He is taking his time, but not because he's just lazy. Instead, he is patient with you. Why? Not wanting anyone to perish. He's waiting so more can come to know him. But everyone to come to repentance. And some of us will say, well, that's all New Testament. Isn't the Old Testament God a little angry? Let me give you an Old Testament goodie. This is an oldie but goodie. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? What is the uniform statement? Christians are exclusive that Jesus is the only way, but inclusive that all people are welcome. To believe and belong. So question number three, moving on. How can we know Jesus is right? Hey, it's one thing to think something. It's another thing to put this, stake your eternity on it, isn't it? How do you know? I, I want to speak to some of you who are um, skeptical about the Christian faith. Jesus does not ask you to turn your brain off when you enter the church. He tells you instead to love God with all of your heart, soul, and what? Your mind. You honor God when you consider things deeply and thoughtfully. So how can we know Jesus is right? Here it is. We follow the evidence. And if you follow the evidence, friend, and you do not come to the conclusion that Jesus is God, then don't follow Jesus. But as for me, I have looked at the evidence and I am more convinced now than ever before that he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You say, well, what did you look at? Well, I looked at the number one thing that everyone must decide on if they're going to follow Jesus. You say, what's that? Well, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Go ahead. And if Christ has not been raised, resurrected, If he is still in the tomb, if he died and is gone, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What is the one piece of evidence that everyone must nail to the ground? Here it is. Did Jesus come back from the grave or not? If he rose from the dead, then he is God in a bod. If he did not, then we are all doomed and we should look elsewhere for hope. Amen? This is huge. Say, so how do we know? How do we know? Well, let me show you a couple things here. He goes on in verse 3. For what I received, this is Paul saying, what I received I now passed on to you as of first importance. What I'm about to tell you is the most important thing that you know, that you ingest, that you believe. That Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture, meaning it was prophesied and then it happened. And he was buried. Now, this is where most people cease on agreeing. It is a matter of historic record that Jesus lived during a particular period in history and was executed on a Roman cross. No thinking scholar disagrees with that. However, what happens next, we disagree a lot about. So how do we know? Did he stay in the tomb or did he come out? There are three pieces of evidence if you want to write these down. Number one, if he was still in the tomb... The religious leaders, the opponents of Jesus, would have brought out his body to prove he was dead. They didn't do it. Why? Because there was no body in the tomb. Jesus was raised. Number two, the writings of the New Testament include incredibly embarrassing details about the followers of Jesus. If you were making up a religion, 
If you were setting up a system for you to be in charge, would you include little tidbits like Jesus calling you a person of little faith? Or tell you to stop squabbling? Or how about this little nugget? Call you Satan like God called Peter. Oh yeah, go ahead and include a little note where I was called Satan. That'll really get people to think this is legit. So they included embarrassing testimony. But number three, we have some interesting details here in the text. Pay attention to this. Notice there are eyewitness accounts. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Next slide. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Why does he say most of them are still alive? He's saying, if you doubt me, you go find them and you go ask them. And they'll tell you what is true. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul. Why did I become a follower when I was a murderer of Christians? Friends, what would it take for someone who is a radical jihadist to follow Jesus? A supernatural encounter with one who is dead and is now alive. The reason we believe Jesus is who he claims he is is because of the evidence. All right, so now that we've cleared all that away, last question. This is the big one. We're going to go fast, but pay attention. Here is the question. If you are a parent, you need to know the answer, and you need to be able to articulate it to your children. If you are a friend, you need to know the answer and be able to articulate it. If you have yet to make a decision about Jesus, then you need to understand what I'm about to say And internalize it because eternity hinges on your answer. How am I saved? First, let's talk about how most people think they are saved. Can we talk about that? There's a guy by the name of Jeff Vines. He is a teacher and a preacher. And he talks about what he does often on airplane flights. By the way, just a little dirty secret. Sometimes preachers don't want to talk to people. Did you know that? Yeah, we can do it up here for a while. And then we want to kind of just... So when you get on an airplane, here's the way I've learned to not have to talk to anyone. Pull up my Bible and tell them, hi, I'm Josh, and I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you going to heaven today? And it's quiet. Sometimes Jeff will be on a plane, and some will say, what do you do? And Jeff will take a deep breath and say, I love Jesus. And the guy goes, "Uh," and he's like, too late, you've already asked, let's talk about him. And so he'll do this thing, he'll ask them this question, are you you religious? Because people will say, I'm not a Christian, but maybe I'm religious. And if they don't say religious, they say, well, are you spiritual? And they'll always say, well, yeah, I'm spiritual. And then he'll do this follow-up question, well, if there is a place after life, do you think you'll go there? And they're always like, well, I mean, come on, have you seen me? (laughs) Of course I'm going there. He goes, cool, cool. Hey, can I show you something? And he'll draw this chart, and I call it the righteousness scale. Right here, you'd say perfect righteousness is 100%. You're at the top. Down here is 0% righteousness. And we put people like Hitler down there, right? That's where all of us think he goes anyway. And then you have this little midpoint right here. This is about 50%. That's, you know, that's, that's middle of the pack. We're not sure if you get in, if you're below that. But over then, you, God grades on a curve, right? That's how people think. And so they'll say, okay, just out of curiosity, where would you put your righteousness or your goodness scale? Where, where would you put yourself? And because we all believe we are saved on a scale, they put it above the 50% line, about 60 
percent. They're like, oh yeah, this is me. This looks really humble, but I'm still in. You get me? Right? It's a humble brag. He goes, oh, that's great, that's great. He takes the pin back and then he says, did you know, are you familiar with a guy by the name of, um, um, oh, Billy Graham? And of course, everyone knows Billy Graham. He says, yeah, he preached to millions of people, helped them know how to live a good life and love God, a good guy, no matter what you think about him, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Did you know Billy Graham was once asked this, this question? And they're like, really? He goes, yeah, do you want to know where Billy Graham put himself? They're like, sure. And he says, Billy Graham put himself about right here at about 33%. Hmm. Would you like the pin back? And they take it back pretty fast. They go, oh, um, yeah, okay. And they put their new line right about here, just right under Billy Graham's. Now, they're getting a little nervous because now they're not in the good scale, are they? He takes a pin back. He says, oh, that's great. That's great. Hey, by the way, <clears throat> have you ever heard of a woman named Mother Teresa? And at this point, they're starting to get a little worried because they know where this game is going. Yeah. He goes, yeah. She was once asked this question or a similar one by the editors of Christianity Today. And do you know what she placed herself? After all, I mean, she, she took care of the poor and the orphans of Calcutta. Where did she put herself? I mean, come on, she's got to be right up here, right? She put herself at about, oh, 22%. Would you like the pin back? They take it back, and now, I mean, they're just like right on top of the line. Like, get there. After all, most people believe you are saved by what you do. Is there more good in your life than bad? If I've gotten over the halfway mark, then yes, I'm in. By the way, if it's over the halfway mark, I can then look around at everyone else and say, <clears throat> see how good I am? But if I'm below the line? See, according to Christianity, and by the way, the world religions, is that the way to enter is through perfection. If you're a Hebrew person, it means keeping all 613 of the Old Testament laws. If you are Muslim, it means the five pillars. Hindu? Got to get that karmic debt taken care of. Buddhist? Well, I mean, you've got things to do as well. So what is it going to take? See, there's two options. Option one is that you and I pull ourselves up to 100%. By the way, how are we doing on that as a people? Do you feel like we're going in the right direction, just generally speaking? See, there's only one who was perfect and claimed to be perfect. And option one is for us to be perfect. The only other option is for Jesus to come down, take our imperfection and give us his righteousness And say, I'll take your zero and give you my 100. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace. Grace is a gift that you cannot pay for or earn. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't say, look how good I am. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You are saved by God's grace. Which means, friend, 
It doesn't matter what bad things you have done. You didn't earn it, which means you can't lose it in the way so many of us think we can. Now, as some of you are going, wait, can I not lose my salvation? We'll get there and we'll talk about that. But what you need to know is if you did not earn the grace of God, then you don't have to worry whenever you sin. Yes, it should break your heart because you love God, but you do not worry because you have been saved by the grace of God. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone, period. For 100% of your sins, period. Past, present, Future, And it is the height of arrogance to tell the living God that your sin is greater than his grace. You have been forgiven 100%. Puff your chest out, not in your greatness, but at the goodness of God that you leave today saved in the arms of Jesus, church. That is the good news. That is the promise. So now the question is, so how do I get this? If I want this, how do I get this? How do I know that I have this? Would you like to know how to get it and to know that you've got it? Yeah, I hope so. Here we go. Very simple. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, to a group of people going, what do we do? We have ruined everything. We killed God. And by the way, friend, if you have sinned, if you have done anything wrong, it is your sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was not merely those shouting, crucify him, who are to blame for the death of Jesus. I put him on the cross and so did you. So what do we do? Repent. What does that mean? It means stop going in your selfish direction And acknowledge God's direction. Repent and be baptized. There's nothing magical about that water. I tell you all the time. I know where that water came from. And it ain't holy. But the one we meet in the water. Who invites us to be washed of all the wickedness in our lives. He is holy. And when you come to him... As one who submits, who says, I will be covered in him as I am the water. I cannot fix what is wrong in me, but he will because he died for me and he rose for me. Your sins are forgiven and God's presence, his Holy Spirit, is with you for eternity. This is how you can know. And this is why we started by asking the question and saying this, what you think or believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Because you'll either live your life trying to live up to something you'll never be able to, or you'll simply receive the grace of Jesus and for the rest of your life, respond in gratitude to his grace.